first reading comes from uh, Micah, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and it can be found on page 922 of the Church Bibles. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the Assyrians invade us, our land, and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. second reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. That's on page 956, if you have a church Bible. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go too and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, do you ever get the sense that uh, everything's not quite right with the world? Uh, I get the sense that just like my dog during the summer storm season, uh, many people are quite agitated. Uh, let me tell you about my dog in recent weeks. Last night we went to Carol's. We, when we go out we have to chain him up, otherwise he escapes and does horrible things to the yard. And So we have to chain him up, but I've left his chain a little bit long. And so he was able to reach the washing basket with all the pegs. He was able to reach the hose. I need to go shopping tomorrow. 
Uh, during the storms, if I'm home, he'll come and, he, and he'll sort of sit under my desk while I'm working and, and occasionally he'll sort of come and he'll sort of put his paws up in, 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 you know, and, uh, on the seat and, and then he'll just drool in my lap. That's a bit unsightly and ungainly and a bit yuck. Or if, if it's during the night and there's a storm going on, then he'll find his way into our room and he'll come and sit on my pillow or even directly on my head and he'll drool on my head. That's pretty gross too. Now, I think many people are agitated at the moment. They might not drool like my dog does, but I think they're agitated. And it could be because of, you know, the politics of this year. We've had Brexit. We've had the, the election of Donald Trump as president. But it might be other things as well. There's a growing concern about what to do with refugees in the world. Uh, it might be housing affordability and avocado consumption for the millennials. Uh, it might be that despite social media giving us more opportunities than ever to connect with each other, many people feel more lonely and isolated than ever before. Or within our own personal circumstances, there may be sickness or there may be unemployment or there may be the, the transition of a, of a life stage as one year finishes and a new one awaits. It seems to me that a lot of people are sort of agitated, they're nervous, they're anxious about what's going on and feeling uneasy. And in many ways, our world is crying out for a strong, courageous, wise leader. Now, as we head towards Christmas for the next couple of weeks, we're going to see how God has given us that leader in the person of Jesus. But how do we know that Jesus fits the bill? Where's the proof that Jesus is God's king? How do, where's the proof that Jesus is God's king? The Bible gives us three ways of knowing that Jesus is God's king. He gives us the Gospels where we can see the things that Jesus did, the things that he said. And Jesus himself claims to be God's chosen king. And secondly, we have the words of the apostles, eyewitnesses who wrote down for us what Jesus did and, and spelled out the implications for us throughout the New Testament. And if I think if we were quizzed, most of us would do okay. I want you to prove from the Bible that Jesus is God's king. And I reckon if we use Jesus' words or other parts of the New Testament, we, we'd be able to give that a good go. But God gives us a third category. It's called the Old Testament which says a lot about Jesus and the king God would send. Now, I wonder how well we'd go if we were asked to use the Old Testament to prove Jesus is God's king. How do you think you'd go with that? So this week we're, we're looking at what Micah says about Jesus. And I get the feeling that the people in Micah's day were similarly uneasy like we are now. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, meaning he was around in, in the 700s BC. It's a long time ago. In Micah chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that he saw a vision concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria and Jerusalem are the capital cities of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel, respectively. But the vision was scary. God was witness to all that was going on and he was coming to deal with it. Now, what sort of things were going on? What was he coming to deal with? The failure of Israel's leadership and the failure of Israel's prophets. We get some sense of what their, their, their failure looks like in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, the leaders are accused of feeding off God's people rather than protecting them. 
Uh, you just look at some of the graphic language there. They tear the skin from people. They tear the flesh from their bones. They strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces. That's not how you want to be described as a leader. Or in verses 5 to 7, the prophets are accused of preaching a message that, that suits the itching ears of the highest bidder. I'll pay you so many dollars to give me a message that I want to hear that makes me feel good. And they weren't speaking God's word and calling people back to repentance. And in verses 11 and 12, we see the disastrous consequences of the corrupt leadership. And the problem here is that Judah is not just any kind of society. This is God's land. These are God's people. They should be characterized by truth and justice and mercy and and all that goes with the character of God. But instead we find corruption and social injustice and idolatry and empty religion. Recently we had a rental inspection at our house. Uh, When you receive the notice of an impending reception, it kind of sends a little shiver up your spine and then you've got to get to work. Okay, You need to tidy up the garden, you need to mow the lawns, you need to wash the windows, you need to scrub the bathrooms, you need to clean the kitchen, tidy up all the rooms. My wife did a wonderful job. But it's stressful. That was funny, by the way. Um, It's stressful. Because you know you're going to be judged. Even as a real estate agent. How much more stressful then when God comes to visit? And even more so when he comes to visit in judgment, knowing already what you've been doing. You can't just vacuum that up or lock it away in a cupboard. Now, as you read through Micah, you'll see that it alternates between oracles of judgment and oracles of mercy. Today, we're going to look in detail at those first few verses from chapter 5, because they're going to point us to God's mercy in sending a righteous ruler who will bring security and peace. So, chapter 5, verse 1, take a look. It begins saying, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now you see here, Israel's king is under siege. And history goes on to tell us that the northern kingdom was overthrown by the Assyrians in 722 BC and the southern kingdom was banished into exile in Babylon in 586. The king that reigned from Jerusalem would be defeated. More than that, he would be humiliated as described by the strike on the cheek. God's judgment was coming, but out of that judgment, God's mercy would be seen. A new ruler will emerge. Have a look at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Where will the ruler come from? Bethlehem Ephrathah. What's Ephrathah? It's a regional name like the Hawkesbury. But to understand the significance of what Micah says here, we're going to dip back into Genesis, to the days of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob, you might remember, was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Rachel was his beloved wife. We pick it up in Genesis 35. It's on the screen there. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, a midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, 
she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. So as they approached Bethlehem, Rachel gave birth to a son and then tragically died. Micah's allusion to Bethlehem Ephrathah then raises the expectation that another son would be born. And indeed, in Micah 5, that's exactly what God says. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Now, we're used to this idea of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, but for the Israelites, this was massive. King David had been born in Bethlehem, but his kingship was established in Jerusalem. And since the time of King David, the Israelite monarchy had taken great delight in boasting of its origin in Jerusalem, which is God's holy city. But Bethlehem? Why would God raise up a ruler from there? It's tiny, it's a bit like Bilpin. (laughs) I love you, Dave. Despite being, you know, just six or so miles from Jerusalem, Bethlehem was so insignificant that when they were divvying up the land in Joshua's day, Bethlehem didn't even rate a mention. In Micah chapter 1, when they're listing the cities that are going to form the defence against this impending raid, Bethlehem doesn't even rate a mention. They don't care about Bethlehem. But out of Bethlehem, God would raise up a ruler whose origins are of old from ancient times. What does that bit mean? Well, some translations render the phrase from ancient times as from days <coughs> sorry. as from days of eternity. And that implies that, that this is a reference to Jesus' eternal existence with the Father before he came to earth as a man. However, I think the Bethlehem context more likely suggests that God is referring here to his promise to King David when he said one of his descendants would always reign on Israel's throne. God raised up David from Bethlehem. He promises to do it again. So God is going to send a new ruler who will rise up out of Bethlehem, who also fulfills God's promise to King David. But when? When's he going to do it and how are we going to know that he's arrived? Well, have a look at verse 3. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives birth and the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. I want to say three things about that verse. Firstly, uh, Israel will be abandoned. They're going to be sent off into exile. And even though they do return to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple and rebuild their houses, it's never the same as it was before. We were left waiting for something better. And then from the end of the Old Testament, there's a 400-year gap of silence. God doesn't announce anything new and his people are waiting for his promises to be fulfilled. Israel will be abandoned. But the second thing to say is that abandonment will be completed upon the birth of a baby. And as we skip forward to Matthew's Gospel, he shows us that the birth of Jesus is the fulfilment of Micah 5. The Magi see a star, they follow it to Jerusalem. They go to King Herod and say... Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod's like, I don't know. We'll get the Jews. Herod gets the the religious leaders to come and they delve back into the Old Testament and they discover Micah 5. 
And they summarize it. We see the summary in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. The Christ will be born in Bethlehem. And Matthew wants us to see that there is no shadow of a doubt. The baby Jesus, whose birth certificate says, born in Bethlehem, is the fulfilment of God's promise in Micah 5. Now, the third thing to say out of that verse there is that Jesus will be the catalyst for the rest of his brothers. The birth of Jesus will be the catalyst for the rest of his brothers returning to join the Israelites. Who are they? Well, in Old Testament terms, they're the faithful remnant who continue to trust in God and his promises. In New Testament terms, they're the ones who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And so this is a promise to the nations that those who trust Jesus are spiritually joined to him along with the faithful remnant of Israel. So the ruler God promised to raise up is Jesus, born in Bethlehem. Matthew makes that abundantly clear for us. But what will this ruler do? What's he going to do now that he's been born? Well, take a look at verse 4. It says, He will stand and shepherd his flock, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. I think one of the reasons there's so much agitation going around at the moment is that the world is waiting nervously to see what is life going to be like under President Trump. Why? Because most of us are expecting something very different to how Micah describes the ruler God himself will raise up. Do you ever see any of these qualities attributed to Donald Trump? He will shepherd his flock. They will live securely. He will be their peace. I've not heard anything like that said about Donald Trump, have you? No, that's why we're agitated. But what will Jesus do? Well, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Instead of boasting about his prestige and power, and instead of trusting in the fortresses of Jerusalem to be his safe haven, Jesus will trust God. He will rule in the way the Israelite kings are supposed to rule, under the authority of God and in his strength. And in fact, we know what kind of shepherd leader Jesus is, for, as a youth group know, he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. More than that, Jesus is God's ruler in whom there is true security. You see, security is not found in the things of this world, for the things of this world cannot deal with sin and death. The things of this world cannot transform our hearts. Security is found in Jesus, because Jesus is our peace. He is the one, he's the only one, who can restore peace in our relationship with God. And so we see the night that Jesus was born, the angels sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. The Apostle Paul picks that up in Romans 5. He says that, that since we are justified by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. Jesus will shepherd his flock and bring security and peace. 
and his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth as his disciples take the gospel message about Jesus to the nations and they call on people to come to him for security and peace. So Jesus is going to shepherd his flock and bring security and peace. How then should we respond to God's righteous ruler? Well, we need to come to him if we want security and peace, don't we? Jesus is exercising God's powerful, majestic rule over the world and he promises rest and restoration for his people. We need to come to him. But for those who continue to stand in opposition to God, there is the promise of a day of destruction. Indeed, if we were to continue reading through Micah 5, that's exactly what we see. In verses 11 to 15, he describes the destruction that will come on all that stands in opposition to God. It culminates in verse 15 when God says, I will take vengeance in anger and wrath upon the nations that have not obeyed me. You see, for heaven to be heaven, those who remain in opposition have to be defeated. And at a personal level, that means that if we continue in our rebellion against God, he will judge us. How do you respond to God's righteous ruler? When the Magi visited King Herod and asked him where the king of the Jews was, uh, the Jewish leaders informed him that, that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And I find what happened next really quite curious. The Magi, they, they, they go, okay, we'll head off to Bethlehem. They go, off they go. And they find Jesus and they worship him. What's curious about that is, well, they're from the nations. They're from the nations with no clear background of involvement with God's family or his promises, yet they know and understand who this baby Jesus is and that he is worthy of their worship. That's curious. Uh, Herod, of course, was threatened. If a new king's just been born, then that's going to threaten his own kingship. And so, as you read on in Matthew 2, you see that he responded in a barbaric way by issuing a horrible decree to kill all the baby boys in that area. Clearly, he stands in opposition to God's righteous ruler. But what I find really curious is the reaction of the Jewish leaders. For there's no record of them making any response and I think God's message to Micah is more than 700 years old. All of a sudden, here's a bunch of people claiming that that baby has been born. They themselves join the dots between current life and 700 years earlier in Micah. They join the dots, and what do they do? Nothing. There's no record of them doing anything in response. They didn't, let's go check it out. You'd think at least they'd say that, wouldn't you? Could it be true? But there's nothing. And, and my only guess to explain that is that they'd waited so long that they were convinced that God had given up on them. So they'd given up on God. But by not coming to him, they too stand in opposition to God's righteous ruler. How do you respond to God's righteous ruler? God hasn't given up on us. But if you remain in opposition to him, judgment is coming. And here's the thing, his promises have always come true in the past 
and he will always be faithful to his word and he will be faithful to any promise he makes both to judge and to save. So my prayer is today, everyone here in this room tonight can see that the righteous ruler that God promised has arrived. It's Jesus, born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And he is shepherding his flock. And so I urge you, come to him. Come to him to find true security and true peace. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful to your word, that your promises always come true, both to judge and to save. Father, we thank you that in your holiness you do not tolerate sin and that you deal with it rightly. Father, we thank you for Jesus, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us to take the penalty for sin we deserve. Father, we pray that you would help us to see that only Jesus brings true security and true peace. Father, help us not to put our trust in the things of this world, but to put our trust in him. And that as we uh, continue uh, thinking about the birth of Jesus this Christmas, you help us to see not just a, a lovely birth story, but that Jesus is the one you promised, who delivered so much, so that we might be restored in our relationship with you and know true security and peace. We pray that you would help us to glorify him by telling others, by making disciples of the nations, because we want to see Jesus honoured in every community and especially here in, in Currajong and around. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand rightly who he is and respond to him in the way you call us to. And we thank you that he will take care of us and shepherd us, his flock. We pray in his name. Amen.